Father, we do thank you uh, for this opportunity that we have to gather, to, to study your word, uh, to fellowship with one another. Uh, Lord, as we <clears throat> enter into a new book of the Bible, uh, this letter of, uh, to the Philippians, we ask that you would give us insight into uh, the situation uh, that they faced, that the Apostle Paul faced. Um, and Father, as you uh, inspired Paul to write this letter to them, uh, there's so many wonderful truths and, and uh, encouragements that are found in this, 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 this small letter. It packs a big punch. And so, Father, we ask that as we uh, endeavor to go through this letter, um, that you would guide us, that you would give us understanding uh, of the context of the setting and Lord that um, that that through the culture and the, the the thousands of years from the time of writing father we ask that your spirit would uh, would speak to us and help us to see the principles that we can cling on to to really navigate life uh, life comes with ups and downs and uh, pain um, and joy and and so, Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to anchor our hearts to Christ so that we wouldn't be moved um, in the good times or bad times, but that we would be steady in our uh, walk and relationship with you. Uh, we are grateful for this, this letter. Uh, we ask that you would encourage us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you'd help us now. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen. Okay, so... I don't know if you noticed on the bulletin, I, I, I very rarely uh, point out the, the front of the bulletin, um, but Philippians, finding joy in the circumstances of life, uh, really sort of captures the theme of this letter. Uh, t today my aim is to, we're going to look at these introductory verses, 
but we're going to spend a lot of time sort of um, in sort of the background. So if you if you can find Acts 16, it would make you it would help you later on. Uh, we're going to look at sort of the relationship between this church. This this letter is is really a personal letter between Paul and these believers in Philippi. Don't worry if you don't know where Philippi is. I'm going to show you where it is in a few minutes. Um, it's a letter of really gratitude. He's, he's really giving them thanks uh, for their care for him. Um, there's concern because of his situation. Um, Paul is locked up yet again. Uh, he is writing this from prison. Uh, he's under house arrest. They're very concerned about him. And so this letter is really a, a letter of, of, of his thanking them for their concern for him, for their care for him. It's a letter of um, pointing them to Christ and reminding them that even in light of these circumstances, that Christ is in control and that Paul has joy uh, within him. And he's encouraging them uh, to to not lose heart, not to be discouraged, not to have anxiety over his situation. It really is a beautiful uh, letter between Paul and Timothy and this church. So verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, this is the, the, the beginning of the letter. Uh, during this era, uh, when you wrote a letter, you would sort of give the who it's from and who it's to. And so we see it's Paul and Timothy. We just finished Timothy. Uh, Paul and Timothy were, were dear, dear friends. Um, Paul and Timothy, uh, their relationship in many ways began, no, I don't say began, but, but one of the first sort of stories following Paul's encounter with Timothy or Timothy's introduction in Acts happens in Philippi. And so this church knew Paul and Timothy really, really well, which explains why he just says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. If you sort of compare uh, Paul's other letters to the churches, a lot of times he comes out with Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, and he really sets out the, um, the authority by which he writes. But, but not in Philippi. The, these, this, these, this church in Philippi, they knew Paul. They loved Paul. They were, they, they were meaningful, meaningfully engaged and supportive of, of his ministry. Um, you could argue that this church was probably one of the, the biggest um, financial supporters sort of equipping Paul in his ministry. And so he just says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And so this word saints, I don't know, we've all heard the word. You, you, know, you meet somebody um, that you know, maybe they have a Godwardness about them and they say, oh, I'm not a saint. You know? And what, what does that normally mean? That means like, well, I believe in God, but I'm not perfect. Or uh, I had things in my life. We, we don't tend to think of ourselves as saints. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and to me, the the to be a saint was like that. That was sort of reserved for superstars, or something. You know, like to become a saint. I don't, off the top of my head, I think you have to be dead for five years. You have to have somehow uh, done a miracle in your death, and then after the council, then uh, you could become a saint. And so, when I hear the word saint, it never applied to me. Uh, but in the New Testament, that's not how the word is used. Uh, any Christian, any person who's placed their faith in Christ, they're identified as saint, a holy one, a, a set-apart one. 
I have a friend, Matt Smith, who's a pastor down at a church in La Jolla, and he is, I don't want to say he's annoying. He's funny. I like teasing him. But, but it's like whenever there's a birthday, I'll get like a, whoever's their birthday, he'll say, happy birthday, Saint Gunner. And it's like, oh, like, I'm not a saint. Like, it just feels, it just feels weird being identified as a saint. And I think that's because we've built this word up to, to make it say something that it's not really. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and he says, I'm writing to my brothers and sisters in Christ, these saints, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi. And so we're going to go to the next slide, and we can just leave it on the next slide for the duration of, of today, um, to sort of orientate us. Okay. <clears throat> this is the Mediterranean. The color is not as, like, distinct. But so this is the Mediterranean. We have Israel down here. Uh, this circle is, is Jerusalem, which will come in later in today's story. We have Caesarea, uh, which is where uh, Herod had built this fortress. It's, 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 it's massive. Still today, if you happen to go to the trip to Israel or you've been to Israel, this is the place right on the Mediterranean Sea. There's a huge pool. There's a, I mean, not that you can swim in today, but it was like a pool built into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, there was a huge... Um, Colise- like Colosseum for chariots. There was another theater, um, it, and it was, a, it was kind of a port that could get everybody everywhere that they needed to go. Um, Paul's missionary journeys often went up the coast, and then he cut across. This is sort of heading into modern-day Turkey. Um, Ephesus, where we spent a lot of our time with, with Timothy, because that's where Timothy ministered, was there. Um, his journey would go up here to Troas, and at this point, uh, we're told, we'll see it in Acts 16 today, he, he, go, he makes a straight course, meaning he sailed across to, to, to Philippi, which is um, in modern-day Greece. So that's Philippi. And then all the way over here is Rome. Rome won't enter uh, so much our discussion today as far as um, geographically it's not pointed out, but, but why Rome is up there is because that's the location where Paul was in under house arrest. So he's writing from Rome to the church in Philippi. Um, okay, so back to our text here. He says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So he addresses the overseers, elders, pastors. That's a word that's sort of interchangeable. Uh, he's, he's addressing the leaders that are identified in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 who sort of led the church as, long, as well as the deacons. And so this is the first place that we see the word deacon, servant, um, used to sort of identify an official position within the body of Christ. And so he addresses the leadership of the church. He addresses the people of the church. Um, and he gets into sort of our verses, verses 2 through 11. Th- th- these, are, these are truly just as, as introductory We're not getting into content. He's just sort of uh, giving some greetings to them. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Very much um, setting the tone of the theme of this letter to them. This is a a, a people who were discouraged, who were, were worried. They knew that Paul had been arrested. We'll look at it in more detail, but he's been under arrest for about four years now, um, this church was a church that would give sacrificially. Um, Paul was under the type of arrest where you would be arrested, but you'd have to pay rent on the house, and you'd have to provide your own food, and you had to pay for all of your expenses. 
And so it was really dependent on others doing that. And so we know that the church in Philippi was a church that constantly gave to him. Um, And on one of these journeys, they sent their pastor, Epaphrodites, to him. And this was before, you know, Facebook and email. And they sort of relied on getting kind of speculation or or they'd hear from somebody, oh, so-and-so went up to Rome. And they made it down to, I don't know, some other place. And they saw so-and-so. And and then so-and-so came over here and they passed the news. And so it was like playing a telephone game. And they'd got kind of word that Epaphroditus got really sick. And so now their founding pastor, Paul, is under arrest. One of their current elders who they sent this gift to suddenly is is possibly sick. Some even suggested he was close to death. And so they're worried. And there's concern, and Paul knows about this. And, and Paul writes this letter, and, and as we get through Philippians, we'll see that he, he pens the letter and he gives it to Epaphroditus. And he sends the letter with Epaphroditus to them, and he says, I'm sending you Epaphroditus. I wanted to send Timothy, but I want to send Epaphroditus because I heard that you heard that he was sick and that you've been really concerned, and he was sick. He almost died, but, but he's well known, and I want you to be encouraged. And so when we, grace and peace, like grace to you, that he wants them to experience the grace of God he wants them to have peace that only God can provide. He knew that their souls were unsettled. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my everyday prayer for you all in view of your participation. That word is uh, koinonia, the word that sort of means fellowship, um, and their, their partnership, their fellowship, their, uh, their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So, Paul is saying that as I ministered to you and then I continued to minister, you were always partnered with me. So everything that I have done, you have been very much a part of this. And as I sit in my cell thinking about the outside world, I just can thank God for you over and over and over again. I I think of somebody having been in the military and having done deployments. It's like the guy or the girl who are overseas and they miss their family, but they're trapped and there's this longing. This is why when the guys come back, or the, when I say guys, it's everybody, all genders. They come back, and, and you, you see the dad run down and meet his baby for the first time, and we're all bawling. It's like, because you see the affection. And this is, this is what's going on in Paul and them. They can't see each other because he's under arrest. But, man, he's got nothing to do but to pray and to think about them, and he's longing for them. This is this isn't just a casual, this is, this is a casual relationship. This is a relationship that has depth, love, heart. And he says, I thank God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, the first day until now, um, I would like to take us back 10 years. So let's go to Acts 16. This, this story in Acts 16 this was 10 years earlier. Um, Paul, in this Acts 16, he, he, he uh, plants the church in Philippi, and then 10 years goes by when he writes the letter uh, to the Philippians. Um, the first few verses, this is always how much introduction. I, um, <clears throat> we're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to do it different than I did last. So the, the, the geographic flow of the story, 
just to kind of keep you guys on track here. So the story in Acts 15 starts in Jerusalem. Then they, um, they're going to make their way up. Paul's going to make his way up. It's the second missionary journey. He's going to bounce around. This little line is the second missionary journey. He's stopping at all of these churches that have been planted. He's going to make his way up here, all the way up here. He's going to get to Troas, right there, what I mentioned. And at this point, instead of being allowed to go this way, God stops him, and he's called to Macedonia, uh, which is this, this is modern-day Greece. And in Philippi, uh, is modern-day Greece is where he ends up. Um, so we read verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. These are the towns that the journey up. And a disciple was there named Timothy. Ah, Timothy. We know Timothy. Now Timothy is going to be mentioned in Philippians. Timothy is going to be Paul's right-hand man. They, th- th- this is Paul's young apprentice, this young disciple that God has placed in his path. This is, I believe, the first time he's mentioned in the Bible um, it's, it's understood that Timothy came to Christ back in Acts chapter 13 when Paul first passed through. Um, and so we're told that Paul bumps into Timothy again, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and his father was Greek. Uh, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And so we know that Paul is with Silas at this point, and he says, okay, I want to grab this guy, and, and I want him to, to follow in my footsteps and to journey with me. And so he, he wanted this man to go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, uh, for they all knew that his father was Greek, and so he's not, he's not fully Jewish. He was half Jewish, half Greek. Uh, we know that his mother and grandmother were believers, but in practice, because of his father, who he's not in the picture, he could be dead, we don't really know, but he wasn't circumcised because his father was Greek, and the Greek influence trumped whatever Jewish influence as far as circumcision went. Um, so Paul circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they knew his father was Greek. Now, why they were there passing through the cities, they were delivering the decree which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Now, i got to pause. Now, this is where I want to go back. So we're down in Jerusalem in chapter 15. Uh, we, we see here the mission that they were on. So in Acts chapter 15, the church had sort of reached this boiling point. Like, what do, what do we do... Um, with all of these Gentiles that are coming in, these Greeks and Gentiles, they're accepting Christ as a Messiah. We're, we're up to this point. Jesus was a Jew. He's the Messiah. And in the early part of Acts, it's really the, the Jewish people responding. And so now you have Jewish people responding to Jesus. And so their culture, their values, everything about him was same. But now they had the Messiah. There wasn't any real conflict. But then suddenly the gospel started to spread out to Gentiles and to these Greeks and issues started to arise because they had different convictions. They, they, didn't have, they, weren't, they didn't have the Old Testament law. They were not troubled in the same way. They weren't circumcised. They weren't all of this stuff. And so Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, who was the most uh, pedigreed of all of the apostles as far as the Jewish track was concerned, he's starting to have heartburn because he's reaching these Gentiles for Christ 
But the Jewish component of the faith, they're having some issues. What do we do about these Gentiles that have now converted? Do they need to be circumcised? Because circumcision, is a, this is a, a promise of God to separate us from the rest of the world. And so do these Gentiles need to be circumcised? Six-year-old man, Gentile, does he need to be circumcised? They said, of course he does. That was a Jewish perspective. The Gentile believers might have pushed back a little bit. Well, I'm not so sure about this. And, uh, and so this big fight happened in, in Acts chapter 15 known as the Jerusalem Council. It's like all of the forefathers of the Christian church are there, you know, Peter, Paul, James, everybody, and they're arguing about this. And finally, they say, okay, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. But we're going to ask a couple things. And off the top of my mind, I don't remember the couple things. It was like, don't, don't eat stuff with blood in it. Don't, yeah, strangled animals. Don't, you know, like, like the whole, like, the old practice of prostitution and worship. Like, let's cut, that's, that's bad. Like, let's not do that. Like, let's be sensitive to the Jews and we'll concede on, on the circumcision point. So Paul's like, hot dog, let's go. Let's go back to all these churches. We can tell them. Because Paul was the guy who planted all these churches who were mainly Gentiles. And he has the Judaizers coming up and say, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. This was a huge problem in Paul's ministry. And so he has everybody in town at Jerusalem, and the church leaders say, you don't have to be circumcised. So he's running. Hey, guys, don't worry about it. You don't got to be circumcised. It's good. Just don't do these certain things. He picks up Timothy, and I always crack up. Verse 33. What does he do to Timothy? He circumcises him. And so there's, I imagine Timothy's like hobbling with Paul, Delivering the news that you don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> He's like, yeah. The things you do for Christ sometimes, you know? Like, and, and the reason Paul knew that this guy was Jew, he was part Jew. And sometimes you have freedom to do things, but you make the sacrifice of not doing them for the sake of allowing the gospel to go first. And Paul knew of Timothy, if you're not circumcised, there's going to be a hindrance. There's going to be a barrier to these Jews who I'm trying to reach for Christ. So I need to, circ- before we go, I want you to come with me. Right, I got to circumcise you first. So then they continue to share the news that you don't have to be circumcised. And as they're going, verse 6, they passed through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mersia, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing and appeared to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision immediately, we, now I want to point out something. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's a little for you to file away in your brain. Who's the author of Acts? Luke. Notice up to this point, all the way through there, verse eight, passing through they, you see a lot of they, they, they. Suddenly you get to verse 10, when he had seen the vision immediately, we. So it's believed that at Troas, Luke now enters the equation. We don't know many of the details. Like maybe he came to Christ there. Some speculate that Paul got sick. This is the Paul thorn on the side. Luke is a physician. He comes alongside. But suddenly in Acts, as, as, as Luke is penning this historical book, he goes from the they, 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 they. Then the story shifts to we, 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 firsthand account. He is now with them. And so they were forbidden from going there, but he sees this vision. There's a man from Macedonia, so a Greek guy, whatever. Imagine 
you know, what's a Greek guy look to you? I don't know. Left Eddie comes to my mind because that's, he's from Greece. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's other Greek examples, but I love Left Eddie. And but if you don't know who Left Eddie is, don't worry about it. But if you're from Valley Center, you probably know who Left Eddie is. And, and so, so it's like, hey, there's a Greek guy saying, come, come to help us. We need you. So Paul takes that. It's like, well, I'm trying to go to Asia. I'm trying to go this way. And the Spirit, God keeps shutting us down. But now he's, there's this vision and God opens the, the floodgates and says, you go. So verse 10, when he saw the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samanthus, and then on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Aha, Gunnar finally got us there. This is why we're here. They landed in Philippi, and they're going to pause. They're going to stop. They're going to settle here for a little while. Now we're going to learn about Philippi. It says it's a leading city of the district of Macedonia. So this is a large city. Think modern day like, you know, uh, don't think Podunk Town, but in our equivalent, think of like Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, uh, New York City. Think big metropolitan city. Like, of course, we, looking back in time, we think, oh, that's like a Podunk Town. There's like not even a Starbucks there. But, like that's, but, but for them, this is a huge metropolitan city. And they were further told that it's a Roman colony, which is significant. So, so in the context of Philippians, we have to remember that this is a Roman colony. Now, a Roman colony, uh, we have Rome, scattered throughout the region because Rome dominated the known world. They owned everything. And part of their strategy of dominating the world is to plant these Roman colonies. So they would, in the middle of nowhere, they would put in the target, they would put in you know, an Applebee's and a Chili's and all of the stuff that everybody liked, a theater and sports, and they would build a big wall around this place. And they'd say to their retiring soldiers, if you live here, uh, you can live for free. We'll give you a place to, to, to live. We'll take care of you. We'll have physicians there. Um, it'll be of your benefit to live there. And so scattered throughout the region were these Roman colonies. And you had expatriates who would live there that were very, very patriotic. Uh, if you've been to Israel or you're going to go to Israel on this next trip, we will stop on one of these days and we will stop at a Roman colony and you'll see the vastness of it. And the reason that Rome put these colonies up is because it was their way to influence the culture. They would have protection of, of their empire because they had patriots scattered amongst the world. Um, their patriots had, would have the best town and they'd be able to influence people. And so throughout this, Roman citizenship is critical. These were Romans. We'll see the influence in Philippians 3.20 when Paul says your citizenship is of a heaven. Citizenship is a big deal. If you're an American citizen, that is a huge deal. Your passport will get you into just about any country in the world. And we think no big deal. But if you have a passport from another country, your passport is no good to get you anywhere because it just doesn't have the power. And so to have an American passport is a huge benefit. It's very similar to having a Roman passport of that day to be a Roman citizen because the benefits and privileges were huge. So it's a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside. We went outside the, the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. 
Okay, so, so this gives us more insight. Huge city, and of the whole city, there's no synagogue. So of all the people there, that means that there were not 10 males that were Jews to form a synagogue. It took 10 males to create a synagogue. And we know that Paul's way of sharing the gospel, he would go into a city, he'd go to the synagogue, he'd preach Christ and tell about the Messiah in the synagogue. And then from there, he would then go out to the, the, the Gentiles, often because the synagogue would kick him out. And so we know that there's no synagogue. And so what he does is he goes outside of the town and he finds a place where likely, uh, there, if there were any Jewish people, they would be there. And we're told that there's some women there and they were praying. And so Paul starts with these women and he begins to share the gospel to them. Verse 14, um, a woman named Lydia who was very wealthy and she, I think she had a large part in funding a lot of Paul's uh, ministry and what he did. She was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. I might have got a type of the Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, which were very expensive uh, fabrics. A worshiper of God was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed among us. I sense this is like a southern hospitality. She's like, you need to come and you need to stay with us. We'll take care of you. We'll feed you. Paul's like, I got, yeah, I got, I got places to go. I, I got this news from Jerusalem. I got to get to all these churches. I don't, I don't have time for this. But there's something, you know, if you've ever experienced sweet southern hospitality where you, like, with a gentle smile and a warm twinkle in the eye, you just can't say no. That's what I see when I, when I read, and she prevailed amongst us. So Paul stayed. So he stayed, and it happened that as while uh, it happened, it happened that as while we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, was bringing her master much fortune, profit by fortune telling. Um, I need to figure out where to stop. I think I'll pick up in verse twenty-one. Let me just tell you about what happens here. So this slave girl, she's demon possessed. Um, She's, got, she's, she's a slave, so she has a master. The master is making all kinds of money because she's able to like, say things, and it, people found it appealing, like, almost like a fortune teller probably. And this guy is making a ton of money off of her. Now, for days we're told that she's following by Paul, saying this guy is telling a way of salvation, or the way of salvation. You can translate it either way. He's saying that this, this, these guys are telling a way of salvation, or the way of salvation. And after like two days, Paul is so annoyed that he basically rebukes this girl, tells the demon to depart from her. She's healed from the demon, and she just becomes a normal little girl. However, when that happened, the man that owned her was very angry because that went his, there went his cash cow. Like this girl doing what she was doing was making him all sorts of money, but now his paycheck is gone. And so he's very upset. He is a Roman, and these are Jews. We see racism coming. These are Jews coming into our town trying to do things that are not acceptable with us. This is verse uh, 19 to 21, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. We are Romans. These guys are not. These are Jews. Get them out of here. They're doing stuff. They just destroyed my whole business. So the crowd rose up together against him, verse 22, and the chief magistrates tore their robes and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And so uh, I'm going to fast forward 22. Where do I want to pick up for uh, 
Let's, we'll go down to, well, I'll pick up in verse 28, and I'll tell you what happens between there. So they're in prison. They're in jail. They've been beaten. Nobody's asked about their citizenship. There was no trial. There was no nothing. They were just beaten for this. They were placed in their jail cell. While they're in their jail cell, they begin singing and worshiping God. While this happens, an earthquake happens, and the, basically the building comes down, and uh, they have the opportunity to flee. The prisoner who's the, the guard who's there, he realizes that, that they can now escape. He realizes that his life's on the line, so he's just going to take the sword and kill himself because that's what was going to come him. It would be better for him to take his own life than to deal with the repercussions of losing his prisoners. Another sidebar, this is super important. When we talk about Christ's death on the cross, he was dead. These Romans didn't mess around. When they were guarding the tomb, they were guarding the tomb. Like there was a lot at stake. You don't just lose a body. You think an earthquake happens, destroys the building, the guys get away because an earthquake happened, and you see the rubble of the building. You think that would be a mulligan, like, oh, we'll let you go this time. No, that's not how they worked. And as he's about to take his life, Paul screams out and says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. We didn't go anywhere. Don't kill yourself. It's okay. We're like, get a head count. We're all here. So this guy gets saved. He's baptized. Um, then in verse 35, there's a neat little story between all of them getting saved and all what happened. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported the words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without a trial, men who are, in Ro- men who are Romans. And at that moment, the, the, the guard, his heart would have sank. And when that word gets to the magistrates, they would have been like, oh, no. You can't beat a Roman citizen. Remember all those privileges I was talking about? They just assumed they were Jews without Roman citizenship, but they're Romans. And suddenly now they just beat these guys, arrested them. And word's going to come to them, and they are going to be really upset. And so Paul says, men who are Romans, having thrown us into prison, now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policeman reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid because they had consequences that Rome would bring down on them. If you heard a Roman citizen, you had rights. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them, please, please, please don't get us in trouble. I didn't know. I thought you were just Jews. That we could beat you like dogs. I didn't, I didn't, like, I didn't realize. Please don't tell mom on me, kind of is what's going on here. And when they brought him out, they kept begging them to leave the city. Then they went out of the prison, and they entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul said, no, you're not going to beat me in public. Then whisk me away in the middle of the night, and I'm not going to go away now that I have these new believers here. Now you're going to bring persecution on them. You're going to publicly exonerate me. I'm going to go there. I'm going to see them. I'm going to let them know, hey, it's okay to follow Christ here. There's, there's freedom. And so he encourages them, and then he goes about his life. Ten years goes by. Spent a lot of time. You can go back to Philippians. So when we read in verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, that was the first day. So this first day when they founded the church, 10 years goes by, this church is very, very active with Paul and caring about him. Um, Let me kind of check in on my notes here. Um, 
in Philippians 4, verses 15 through 16, Paul writes, You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in, in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And so this, this is a church. He planted them. They came alongside of him. They supported him financially. They never left his side. It's beautiful. And he says in verse 6, going back to chapter 1, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he tells him, you're alive. God's not done working. Don't be discouraged by your circumstances. And if you're here today and if you know Christ, God's not done working in your life. And he's not, he's not going to quit until he's done. You can trust in him. You can have joy and contentment regardless of what you're going through, just like they did. Verse 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in a defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. This is the Apostle Paul, but he said, you guys are just, you're with me. We're teammates. We're in this together. I'm nobody special. I'm just a guy that God is using. And he mentions his imprisonment. Now, we don't have time to, to sort of hopscotch all the way through um, Acts, but in Acts 21, 27 through 36, I believe it is, um, Paul's in Jerusalem. Uh, he'd made his way back to Jerusalem later. Um, he stopped in Miletus, uh, south of Ephesians, he grabs the elders of the church there. He says, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know this is it. I love you guys. They, they're crying. They're hugging each other. Um, Paul says, you know, I'm going to be gone, and wolves are going to come in the church, and you guys need to stay firm. Don't give up. Don't quit the fight. And they're weeping there. They say, Paul, you're going to die. And the prophet comes, pulls off his belt and strings up. But this is you, Paul. He says, I know, but don't, you're breaking my heart. Get away. Don't, don't slow me down. And Paul goes, he makes his way to Jerusalem. He's in the temple. They all get word, hey, the apostle Paul is there. Big Jewish mob gets together. They take Paul into custody. Eventually, while, he's, he, while they're taking him into custody, the Romans get involved, and they're sort of trying to piece together what's going on. Paul shares his testimony a couple times. And the, the Roman guards, they like don't know what to do. Like Paul's not guilty of anything. And so they have him in custody, and it seems like they don't want to release him because if they release him, he's going to be executed by them, and they don't want that. And so why they have him in custody in Jerusalem, Paul's nephew makes his way to him. And he says, hey, Paul, Uncle Paul, uh, there's, a, there's a, 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 a lynch mob coming, and they're going to execute you. They're coming. And Paul says, hey, hey thanks, nephew, but um, I'm kind of locked up. Can you go find the captain? Go let somebody in authority know what's happening, and maybe they can do something. And so the kid goes to the person who's in charge, they gather up a big mounted posse and then all of these people and they give a Paul an escort down to Caesarea, this big guarded palace of Herod's. And he's there for two years. And he sits there for two years. They're all trying to figure out what to do. They see no cause for holding him under arrest. He was innocent. But at the same time, the Jews really wanted Paul dead. And... At the end of it, as they're trying to figure out how they're going to handle it, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And the guy's like, I wish he wouldn't appeal to Caesar, but now that he's appealed to Caesar, we have to release him. We have to, we, we have to send him to Rome to see Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. So if he hadn't done that, we were going to release him. We could have just released him. 
And so then he makes his way to Jerusalem, or I mean, excuse me, to Rome. And we're told that in Acts 28.30 that Paul spent another two years in Rome. And while he's in Rome, in this prison, through Philippians, we'll see that he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. We know historically that he survives this arrest. He gets out, he's set free from this arrest. But while he's under arrest, he doesn't know if he's going to be executed or not. And we see phrases through Philippians like, hey, guys, I'm really torn here. I don't know if I want to die or if I want to live. To, to die is gain because I can be with Christ, but to live is Christ also. If I'm alive, that means he has a mission for me and I'm going to serve him. But if I die, oh, man, that would be great to be in heaven. He's like, so I wrestle with this. He doesn't know what his future holds. So back to verse 7. Uh, this is, for this is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since in my imprisonment and in the, my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. How I long for you with the affection of Christ. This is that guy on deployment, longing for his family, longing to see his, his wife or the girl to see her husband. Like there's this separation and there's nothing they can do to see them. And we see this deep love that Paul has for them. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Christ is coming and a day is coming when Christ will return and walk blamelessly to that day. Stay focused on that day. Grow in love for each other. Then he says, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, so all of this is just this warm love. And if nothing else, I hope that you guys can see that this isn't just some like stale letter. This is, this is a real man who's in prison in a real church who really loves this guy that's going through really difficult time. And God uses the Apostle Paul to write this letter by his spirit to bring encouragement to his church, which is us also. That we live in a really harsh world. Like if we're in this world, there's sin in this world, and there's death, there's evil, there's sin, there's all sorts of rough things. And the people of God are not immune from these trials of life and and the pain and sorrow of what we go through. So as we go through this letter... I think we should draw closer to Christ. If there's anything that Paul's trying to communicate, he's saying, keep your eyes on Christ, keep your eyes on Christ. Because in him, whether the waters are smooth or the waters are really rough, if you have your eyes on Christ, you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. There is joy, which is not like happiness. It's, it's, a, it's a contentment that's available to those who, who are anchored to something greater. I do think that this study should also deepen our relationships with us, with one another. Like, the Christian life isn't just about doing an hour on Sunday. It, it, it's, a, it's about community and fellowship and striving to do life together. I was so moved. This week has been a super, like, crazy week for me personally. And then I, I see, like, I get a call from, uh, or a text from Jackie. It was Monday morning. And she said, somebody from the church stopped by to see us, and they prayed. I'm like, what an angel. I'm not giving the person's name because they would get mad. 
It's like, oh, how wonderful is that? And another person stopped by during the week. And then I, then I see that somebody else is having issues. And, and you know, some people from the church apparently went over and helped this person out of their house. And I have no idea, like, I have no idea what any of this stuff is. But it's happening because there's relationship there. And, the, and there, there should be meaningful relationship because the body of Christ is called to love one another and to actively be engaged in one another's lives. So when the bottom falls out on you, the church will just be there. So my prayer is that we would experience the joy, the peace that Paul writes about as we go through this letter. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful letter to the Philippians. And Father, I know that we covered a lot of ground sort of looking at the history and context but it's beautiful to see how this church loved on Paul, how they came alongside him and how he ministered to them and they ministered to him and, and through it, your gospel went forth. And Father, we pray that you would help us individually to identify uh, and apply this truth that Paul talks about, this secret of contentment, that whether he had much or he had little, he uh, could do all things in you. Father, we pray for us collectively as a body that you would help us to abound in love for one another, that we would have true love um, that would work itself out in practical ways. Um, We are grateful for the body of Christ. We are grateful for your spirit that works within us. And Father, I pray for those that are maybe in a season of discouragement or frustration. I pray that you would uh, do a work in their lives, Lord. May you... Uh, may your spirit be like ointment to their soul. Father, we love you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand as you're able.